Uh, well, guys, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 18. Like I said, I'm going to start in verse 35, and uh, we're going to read a good little chunk together. I'm also going to be mentioning events that happen uh, in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to do that because the story that we're going to read this morning appears in all of what we call the Synoptic Gospels. Now, the Synoptic Gospels are the three Gospels that share the majority of their material. That is... Uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke. John is uh, primarily a unique gospel, but those three gospels share a bunch of information. So uh, I'm going to talk to you in, in the second and third point a lot about the context of what we learn from this story, and I'm going to be pulling from the context that surrounds this story in Luke and in Mark, uh, even though I'm not necessarily reading that scripture. I want to challenge you to go later this week and check it out because it's great information. It's good stuff. It's always good to study the Bible in context. That's going to be our effort this morning. So I'm in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35, and God's word says this. It says, as he approached Jericho, speaking of Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Uh, now, some of the other accounts say that it was two men. That's cool. Same story, okay? Don't want to freak you. Same thing going on. Uh, we believe this blind man, who we'll, we'll meet in a second, has a friend. So, he, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Hey, what's up? What's going on? What's all this noise, right? And, uh, and, and says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So the crowd, uh, he inquires the crowd, and, and he's like, what's up? And they're like, it's Jesus of Nazareth. That's who's come by, Jesus, that guy that's from Nazareth. And, uh, and so, so that just kind of set in the tone. It says, so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, now the crowd, he's, he, he hears the rumbling. What, what's all the commotion? This is a blind guy. He's like, hey, hey, what is going on? They say Jesus of Nazareth, right? So that's their designation of Jesus. His designation, when he hears it's Jesus of Nazareth, he doesn't cry out Jesus of Nazareth. He cries out, I want you to notice this is really important, Jesus, son of David. Now that is a messianic reference. All right? He's saying, hey, I believe that you're the one that the scriptures have, have, been, have been speaking of. So this is important, okay, as we kind of set the table. It says, then those in front told him, keep quiet, shh. Kind of think about the disciples with the little kids flocking to Jesus. They're trying to hold them back. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Let them come to me, right? So the crowds try to silence him. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he commanded the crowd that this man and his friend, from another account, be brought to him. And when he came closer, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you, not just healed you. This is an important word. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. And all of the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is a great story. Fifth question. Try not to cry. I love this story. Fifth question we're going to look at that Jesus asked, and I believe wholeheartedly he's still asking of us today, is this. It's found from Luke 18, 41. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, if we're going to study a question like that, there's some things that we need to know 
about God. Because when you hear God asking you that question, uh, it's very easy to get a little self-entitled. So point one, we're just going to kick that out, okay? So here's the first thing I want you to understand. If we're going to dive into this question, three things I'll share with you. Here's the first. I want you to know that God doesn't exist to serve us. God doesn't exist to serve us, but he loves us and he delights in serving us. Okay, let me say that again. God doesn't exist to serve us, but he loves us and he delights in doing so. So, so really two separate statements I've joined together here. Uh, and, and, uh, and both of them will knock the uh, fire out of any uh, thought of pride or self-sufficiency you have, right? So you start with the first one, God does not exist to serve you, right? And you go, oh, what a kick in the gut, right? That's a kick in the gut. I mean, that's God going, hey, like I'm God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need you. I like, guess that's, that's not, I'm not a Coke machine. Like, you don't just press the buttons and me just spit out what you want. Like, like that, that, that's not how this functions. And you go, whoa, okay, and we begin to get our place, right? But then there's the second one equally, which I think has the same effect, right? But, but even though he is God, and even though uh, like he doesn't exist to serve us, he loves us, and he delights in, in stepping down in stooping down and serving sinful people like us. Holy God, maker of the universe, in, in eternal glory, likes to step down into my uh, dirt and my muddiness, and, and He likes to serve me. That's, that, that, that astounds me. Right? That should kind of floor you, that whole concept. So both of these concepts kind of eliminate this whole thought of, of pride and, and self-sufficiency. God, and I want you to understand this. God, when I say God doesn't need us, here's why uh, that God doesn't exist to service. I just understand that service is all about filling needs. Some of you are going to go to a restaurant later today, and somebody's going to wait on your table. They're going to serve you, and you're going to be there because you have a need. You're hungry. You're thirsty. By the way, you, you Christians, really, on Sunday, you've got to be super kind, right? They know you came from church, right? I used to wait tables. Be like the best tipper. Be the most patient people, right? I, where's my iced tea? Well, guess what? There's now three people instead of ten working in the restaurant thanks to COVID, okay? So just be patient, right? So, so people wait on us because we have a need. They serve us because we have a need. But here's what Scripture says about God. He's all-sufficient. He has no needs. Paul puts that this way in Acts chapter 17 uh, 24 and 25. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. This God, and he needs nothing. He needs nothing from you. He needs nothing from me. He is all-sufficient. Yet, this same God who needs nothing chose, chooses. He chose. He chose to create you. He chose to pursue you. He chose to save you. And He actively chooses to this day to serve you and to meet your needs. Get this. Because He loves you and it brings Him great joy to do so. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that, that's like the mind-boggling truth of the gospel that, that God pursues sinners like us 
who have so many warts and imperfections that we, we put that, that cream all over so people don't see it. We dress up good and we come to a place like this. And, and some people out there, they, they, they call that uh, like hypocrisy, right? And so I, I'm not big on that. I say show up as you are. Tell people you show up because you're jacked up and you need Jesus, right? And so that's why we come jacked up in need of, of Jesus. And this God, knowing who we are, knowing all our scars, knowing all the skeletons in our closet, he pursues us and he still gets low, he gets in our dirt, and he serves us. Why? Because we have great need. Because we're the ones in need. Right? So in the story of Bartimaeus, that makes us Bartimaeus. We are the blind. Right? So maybe, you know, like today, uh, it's still being blind. You're very much dependent. Uh, technology's come a long way, but, but back then, you were completely dependent. You're dependent on somebody to take you somewhere where crowds would be you're completely dependent on people giving you something. There's no way that you could earn anything yourself. Bartimaeus, like, he is the one completely in need. And, and what I'm saying to you is that is us. And this is what sets Christianity apart. It's one of the things that sets Christianity apart, is that we don't exist to serve God. But God instead, our leader, our God, he loves us and he wants to serve us. You're not going to find that in any other religion, by the way. Every other religion, the people exist to serve their quote-unquote deity. And in Christianity, God takes great joy in serving his children. The God stooping low to serve. In fact, this is what Jesus says in Mark 10, 45. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In uh, Luke twenty two twenty seven, he puts it this way. He says, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? Right, that's true. It's always the one at the head of the table. That's who's greater. But get this. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Right? That's the craziness of the gospel. God stepping down, choosing to take the position of a servant in order to show us the full extent of his love, how much he loves us, how much joy he takes in us. And it's nuts. It's nuts. So the first thing I want you to know is we kind of wrestle with this question what do you want me to do for you is that God doesn't exist to serve us, but he loves us and delights in serving us. The second thing I want you to know, guys, is that our humility affects the extent to which God blesses us. Okay? Our humility affects the extent to which God blesses us. You hear a question from God that says, what do you want me to do for you? And you begin to think, oh, well, hey, this is the way it works. God exists to bless me, right? And if you don't think that's the case, look at Christian culture, especially in America. Uh, that's what we look for. We seek blessings. We don't seek the one who blesses. Love you, but that's the truth, right? That's the truth. We want blessings. We don't want the one who blesses. And, and so I'm just here to tell you, this mindset, man, it gets steeped in us. We actually think that God exists just to bless us, that that's what it's about. And, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the extent to which God will bless your life relies a, a huge ton upon uh, on, on, on your humility. And here's why I say that. So this question that Jesus asked, uh, he actually asked the specific question to two groups. 
Um, but, but he actually, throughout his ministry, kind of poses this question in many different ways to a lot of different people. I mean, he heals a lot of people. He does a lot of things for a lot of people. And specifically in this text, we look at all the stories uh, that this is surrounded with. And so uh, I just kind of, I, I want to walk through this. God shows us the full extent of his love by serving us. But how we receive and respond to that service is crucial. And I want to show you on the night that Jesus is betrayed. Okay, so John chapter 13. Uh, they're in the upper room. Jesus is about to be betrayed this night. Um, his disciples, he says, we re- we're reading through the book of Matthew. We just kind of finished that up, right? And so in Matthew, it says at one point, uh, Jesus says, all of you will turn away tonight. All of you. So all of these men are going to turn. All of these men are going to flee. Peter's going to uh, curse his name. Remember, all that's going to happen this night after this event. So John 13, 1 says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Uh, another translation says he, lo- he showed them the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love for them was what he's about to do. And then Jesus gets up and he takes off his outer garment, he wraps it around his waist, and he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he washes the feet of 12 guys who will all fall away on this night. Washes the dirtiest part of their body, the part that's been in all the mud, has been in all the mire, and the exact part that will betray him. You guys following me? That's what Jesus does, showing the full extent of his love. And in that, Peter, uh, Jesus gets to him, and Peter speaks up, verse 8. You'll never wash my feet, Peter says. And that sounds so great and religious, doesn't it? But that's just religious pride. Uh, No, you'll never do this for me. All right, by the way, that's just, he's denying the blessing of God, which Jesus says. Jesus replies, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. Now, Peter, to his credit, immediately is like, okay, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, no, that's already happened. I'm just washing your feet, homie, so you can go do this for others. And that's in the text, homies, right there. Um, and so um, the context of this passage, though, here is, is key. And so, so this is where I'm going to pull on Mark and Luke. When we read around this passage, we're going to find all these stories. Um, we're going to find... Uh, all these examples around the story of Bartimaeus, right? So uh, there is the story of the ten lepers where ten guys are healed, but only one guy comes back and praises God, and that guy is saved. There's the story of the parable of the, tax, uh, of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee, they both go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee walks into the temple, lifts up his palm to heaven and prays about himself. The tax collector stays a long way off, refuses to look up to heaven, says one man walked away justified. It was the tax collector who beat his breath, wouldn't even look up to God and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? God, it, God says that, that guy, that attitude is justified. It's surrounded by the story of the persistent widow who was completely broke and destitute and had no way to take care of herself. And there was an unjust judge that was going to keep her broke and destitute. So she kept showing up and beating on the judge's door saying, you've got to do something. I demand justice. And the judge is finally like, dude, I don't even care about your situation, but you're driving me nuts. Here, have what you want. Right? And so the parable of the persistent widow is in there. It's also bookended by the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want eternal life, but I don't want to give up any of my stuff. Right? And, and, and we get these attitudes on, on both sides. It's, it's bookended by the story of even James and John who come to Jesus and say, hey, we got a question. And Jesus says, same question, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to sit on your right and your left. We want this position of importance. We want to be in charge. It leads to a fight amongst the 12 disciples about who's going to be the greatest. They want something other than what God wants for them. And so here's what I'm saying. Context is key. 
God loves you, and he wants to bless you. You're going to have to allow him to do that. The gospel teaches us that we are completely reliant on the grace of God and that we need him. And that means that you're going to have to start surrendering things that you think you're in control of. And, and it's going to be tough. Sometimes you're going to think you're being really religious like Peter. Be like, no God, I got this because we live in America and we teach this false gospel of pick yourself up by your bootstraps Christianity. That God uh, helps those who help themselves. That's not a scripture, by the way. That's junk. No one can help themselves. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, right? And so that, like, that's, that's the truth. And so, so we can't be like Peter and just reject the blessing of God. You also can't be like James and John. And folks, sometimes we do that. God has a blessing for you. you want something, and you know what you do? You ask for something else. No, 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 God, I don't want that. I want, I want, I want this thing. How prideful and arrogant is that, right? And we do the same thing. So here's what I'm going to say to you. These stories are bookended by all these other contextual stories that we would take notice. The difference between Bartimaeus, who knows his need, the persistent widow, who knows his need, the, the, uh, the tax collector, who knows his need, versus all those other prideful people that have other things going on. You're supposed to see that juxtaposition. God loves you. He doesn't exist to serve you, but he wants to serve you out of love for you. And the question is, the extent to which he'll be able to bless you is the extent to which you will allow him to serve you. You got it? It's a big deal. Humility matters. It matters. Okay? Lastly, I got to go. It's time to wrap this sucker up. Three, I want you to know that God greatly rewards the persistent person who longs to see him. We grapple with this question. What do you want me to do for you? I want you to know that God greatly rewards the persistent person who longs to see him. Again, context. This story is bookended by the parable of the persistent widow, right, who knows her need. She's destitute. She's going to keep on coming. God's going to reward that persistence. That's what he's teaching, right? But, but it's also bookended by the story of Zacchaeus. Did you know Zacchaeus was in there? Man, go read it in every account. Zacchaeus is in here. And what about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus just wants to see Jesus, right? And so he gets undignified, and he does what you shouldn't do. He runs, which like you couldn't do that in that culture, and then he climbs a tree, which you couldn't do that in that culture, because he was a short dude and couldn't see Jesus, and he just wanted to see Jesus. And so he climbs up the tree, and he's hanging there just to get a glimpse, and Jesus stops and goes, Zacchaeus, I see you. I see you. I want you to know, man, if you want to see Jesus, that he sees you too. And he sees that effort because that is the attitude that he rewards. The story of Bartimaeus, I don't know how it goes down in your mind, but in my mind it goes a little something like this. He hears the crowds because he's got good hearing and can't see squat. He hears them from a long way off. He hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. He knows what Jesus of Nazareth really is. This is the Messiah. So he begins to cry out, Messiah! Son of David! And the crowds are like, shut up, blind beggar. Right? And so now he's, he's scrambling to get up from his mat and he can't see squat. And he's pushing through the crowd, literally risking his life to get a glimpse of Jesus. And he's blind! Why? Because he knows that if he can talk to this Jesus, the very first thing he'll see is God himself. Can I ask you a question? How bad do you want to see Jesus? 
Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Might I suggest the greatest blessing in all of it, the history of the Bible would be the people that say, God, I just want to see you. The greatest reward. Right? Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. God promises you'll seek me, uh, or you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That is a promise of God you can absolutely take to the bank. So what do we do because of this? I'll give you three things very quickly, and then uh, i got to let you go because my timer says you have to go uh, to Bible study. So here we go. Uh, number one, I want to challenge you to accept God's love. Don't fight it. Don't think, you know, oh, I, I hear so many Christians don't even pray about stuff. God's too busy. How small is your God that he's too busy, he can't handle the little thing that you think you've got? You don't got it. Right? Anybody else's life a testimony that you don't got it? Come on, anybody else come in this morning, you do not have even the minor things in your life together, amen? I mean, people think that you got it together, but like if they saw, like they'd be like, ha, 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 Yeah, you don't got it. I promise you don't got it, right? So man, accept his love, he's got it. Uh, two, that kind of goes along with that, know your need. Massive difference between how God blesses people. If you don't know your need, you're going to say, nope, God, don't do this. Don't do this. You're going to be like Peter, or you're going to be like James. You're going to ask for something else, the audacity, right? Just know your need. Man, I'm blind. I'm broke. I'm des- This is who Jesus came to save, by the way. He came to seek and save those that are lost. He came to set the captives free, restore uh, sight to the blind. Like, we're those people. Just, like, accept that. Man, rejoice. Like, yep, that's me. I was blind, now I see, and I, I, I need to see more clearly every single day. Know your need. And three, man, seek him hard. Seek him hard. I couldn't think of a better way to put that. Hard with everything you got. And if you do, God will reward that. He will bless you. So let me ask you a question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? he loves you. He wants to serve you. I wonder, will you let him? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thanks for your word. I pray that you would use it in a powerful way in our lives, God. We love you. It is in your name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.